This is Very Bold Radio and Podcast with your host, Steve Teal, bringing encouragement through God's Word and through inspiring interviews. Go to VeryBold.com for information and updates and email Steve at VeryBold.com. And now here's your host, Steve Teal. Welcome to Very Bold Radio and Podcast in this episode 7 of the Simple Man Bible Study called Rock the World. My big question for you today is, have you ever felt desperate for God's help? I mean, overwhelmed or underwater, under duress and discouragement, just desperate. And you don't think to yourself at that time, huh, I wonder if God is going to come through here. There's no quiet pondering. Your prayers have the intensity to match your desperation. Have you? Think about that time. What happened? How did you make it through? Did you see God move? Be honest. No Sunday school answers where the answer just has to be yes. No, be honest. And since we're being honest, maybe right now, do you feel you're there? Overwhelmed, underwater, under duress, under stress, and fear. I felt that a few times. A few years ago, I was struggling trying to understand God's next chapter, his storyline for my life. I would love to sit here and tell you that I turned on the worship music and sang my heart out to God in worship and thanks for what he was going to do next, but I cannot. You've heard of an ugly cry, right? It's not pretty. Well, there's an ugly pray, too, and it's not pretty. It's desperate. And it's out of your pores come doubt and questions and frustrations. It's raw. It's real. It's an ugly prey. No these or thous or if it be your will, Lord. No, it's help now. Where are you? I need you now. Now, I don't know about for you, but for me, that is a high decibel, high emotion event. Now, I'm still standing today, or sitting anyway. I can remember the ugly prey. I'm not super proud of it. I'm not sharing it with you because that I, I'm proud of it. And I don't recall the exact problem, but to say what we described before, I felt overwhelmed, overmatched, underwater, under duress, and I needed God's help, and I wasn't sure if God would come through or not. Somehow, God came through or maybe is coming through still. My broken, imperfect faith wasn't pretty, just pretty ugly. But Jesus did not give up on me, did not turn his back on me, but listened. Let me get it out, shout it out, doubt it out, and work through it with his help to come to a place of trust. Now I can share another time that I remember even better, that desperation. 16 years old, in West Springfield, Virginia, in my bedroom at night, another day of plus and minus activities in the books, school that day, good friends, that's good. Maybe that day, as I was thinking about, I was just imagining what a good typical day would have been for me. Maybe that day we played basketball on eight-foot hoops. Yes, eight-foot baskets. It was the only way most of us ballers were going to be able to dunk And let me tell you, you put 10 guys on a small court with eight-foot rims, it was a cage fight. 
because you did not want to get dunked on. It was exhausting just trying to beat each other up just to try to dunk that basketball. It was so hard. And it was incredible fun, so much fun. Hanging out with some of the coolest guys and best friends you could have. And shout-outs to to those guys who I haven't talked to in a while. Back in Virginia, Parker, Jim Warren, Bobby, Murph, Alan Johnson, a bunch of other good times. Imagine that day, get home sweaty, exhausted, and exhilarated. Maybe some math to struggle through still left for homework. Maybe that afternoon I had made that decision that I would play eight-foot basketball rather than get tutoring help from Parker, and I was about to struggle through it on my own. What was that math teacher's name? I can't remember. I don't recall. But one fun fact, this is what I remember of that math class. She had tutored, when she was in college, a quarterback named Fran Tarkenton. That's, uh, yeah, that's pretty impressive. That did not help me on my SATs, by the way, Brett. Maybe that night... Mom had made her famous meatloaf. Oh, man. It's a good thing we just had Las Palapas and I'm full because meatloaf, delicious. And mashed potatoes. When the mashed potatoes are just right, you don't need gravy. Maybe you disagree. I don't know. Maybe that night we sat down at the dinner table, Mom, Dad, and me. My sister Kathy was at James Madison University at the time. Maybe even though there was the stress of math homework hanging over my head, Mom, Dad, and I probably had some laughs or talked some Big East basketball or ACC. I've got a couple of pictures up. Great memories of watching players like Buck Williams and Sleepy Floyd. Patrick Ewing, no picture of him. Sleepy Floyd you've got there and Buck Williams. Maybe I managed to put off my struggles with homework long enough to go downstairs and turn on the Atari 2600 and put in Activision's Chopper Command. You know, that was the game I owned. No, I mean I owned it, dominated it. I got to 999,999 points, Chopper Command. And then the game just ended. Like, what? (laughs) It just ended. I thought the screen would either turn to a million and we'd keep going, Or it would have a secret message, what has become known as an Easter egg, some fun surprise. Nope. That was it. It just rolled over, and that was it. Oh, oh my gosh. Anyway, all that to say, I had a good life 16 years old in Springfield, Virginia. Or what certainly appeared to be a good life. Good family? No. Great family. Good friends? No. Great friends. At the top of my academic class? No. Great friends. That's a little bit funny, right? Okay, just checking. Plus, I had dominated Chopper Command 999 points. I was not near the top of my academic class. That was my way of saying that. Chopper Command and my almost a million points became a pretty good metaphor for my life. That was an achievement. It took hours and hours of practice and play and hand-eye coordination and processing speed, I mean legit. And when I finally conquered it, the achievement, while still kind of impressive, if you ask my 16-year-old self, okay, or even me today, but it was empty, empty. That's the word, empty, And so I eventually struggled my way through math homework, probably left a bunch blank. 
Maybe had a snack of mom's homemade chocolate chip cookies and milk because I hadn't figured out yet I was lactose tolerant. But those cookies and milk made things better, but only temporarily. So I get up to my bedroom and turn off the lights. And in the stillness of the night, I could hear one thing, the emptiness of my soul, the lacking purpose of my life. I had all the good friends, good times, family really seemed to have it all. And still the soul cried out empty. Is this all there is? No, of course not. My soul, my heart knew better. It was at that moment I realized God, Jesus, I know about Jesus Though, to be honest, I didn't know much about Jesus. I knew some of the stories about Jesus. But what I clearly remember thinking is, I know about him, but I do not know him. I do not know Jesus personally. And I'd heard enough and even read enough to understand this. It's the knowing Jesus in a real relationship way that matters. This emptiness was not going away. It didn't matter what I did or what laughs I had or good times, or what girls I impressed, not too many. None of it, none of it mattered. That realization of my heart, that emptiness was not going away, brought me to a place of desperation. To know that emptiness on such a deep level, it's crushing. In my desperation, I'm right back there in West Springfield, in our house upstairs, had bunk beds, I'm down in the lower bunk, and I'm there, and I'm ugly crying, and I am ugly praying. I dared God. I challenged God. I yelled at him, make yourself real to me. You did it for Paul on the road to Damascus. You can do it for me right here. Do you know what happened that night? Listen, and I will try my best to replicate it for you. Nothing, nothing happened. God seemingly was silent. But the next night was amazingly silent also. (laughs) The following night too. I don't recall if it was three weeks or three months, but God eventually spoke to my soul, whispered to my heart, and it was real, so real and undeniable for me. Nope, not, not audible, though of course God is fine to use an audible voice too if that's what he wants to do. Just not with me that day sitting in church. I'm in church. What are you imagining for my story now? How did God finally end his silence and speak to my heart? The beginning taste of something so sweet that my emptiness, though not filled on that, had the promise, the promise of something more. What are you imagining? Was it a Billy Graham-like preacher speaking the truth in an arrow to my heart, just piercing it? Nope. Was it the worship band playing a Keith Green song like Rushing Wind? (laughs) In our church, there was no Keith Green songs, no guitars, no drums. There were hymns and choir members in robe. And though they may have sung well, it did not stir my heart that day to the promise of a personal God who knows my name, knows my heart, and wants to be known. It was just Jesus. It would come out later that our minister, unfortunately— have been struggling with alcoholism, and his sermons, though well-intentioned, did not hit the target of my heart. It just had to be Jesus. 
He didn't care. Jesus didn't about the surroundings that day, not caring about the theology being preached or offered. It was just Jesus. He spoke to my heart. He didn't say, I love you, or I'm with you, or I will never abandon you. Any of those things would have been great. Instead, Jesus said something ridiculous. Does God ever say anything ridiculous to you? Put something clearly on your heart that you know isn't from you because it's just ridiculous. Remember Simon Peter? We've studied him and continue to and rock the world. He'd worked hard all night, just exhausted, exasperated, letting Jesus use his boat as a stage to teach the people. This tired, frustrated fisherman just wants to go home. He's probably nodding, nodding off as Jesus finally says, amen, amen, then turns to Simon Peter and says, put out into the deep once more. That is ridiculous. Simon, I've always thought, had stubborn resistance rather than childlike faith, but I can't say for sure. But he reminds Jesus, we've caught nothing. But since you say, Rabbi Carpenter, sure, fine, we'll do it. And when he does so, the nets are full of fish to the point the boat begins to sink. It is ridiculous. At the end of that, Simon doesn't wink at Jesus and say, I knew you were going to do something cool like that, teacher. Nope. Simon Peter falls at Jesus' feet, begs him, go away from me. I'm full of garbage and sin. Just get away. Simon has had an encounter with the divine power of Jesus, son of God. And it started with the ridiculous. Maybe don't like that word. My kids grew up using that word if I was being unreasonable or making too many dad jokes. You're being ridiculous. But I, I like it for Jesus. He comes up with something unlikely, not normal. My word, ridiculous. Has Jesus ever whispered into your heart to do something unlikely, uncomfortable, not normal, ridiculous? What has God asked you to do? If you have an answer and you're on Facebook Live, you can either post it below or... If you're listening to the podcast or right here on KSLR AM 630, then email me, steve at verybold.com, steve at verybold.com. I would love to hear what God has spoken to you, ridiculous or unlikely or anything. I'd like to hear it. I'm thinking of, as I go through that, I'm thinking of friends and brothers, some of the hockey players that I work with, some of the football coaches, some of the youth that I work with, and some of their stories. They're ridiculous. They're amazing what God does, but I don't think they're mine to share. Maybe I'll ask their permission and share some of those stories sometime. Surely someone watching or listening is like, no, Jesus has not asked me to do anything ridiculous, and I'm not interested either. Or maybe Jesus just hasn't spoken to you in that way. Unlikely not normal, ridiculous. I hope you'll give Jesus the chance to. Don't worry. It will not go against God's word or God's plan or God's truths. It'll just be something within the ridiculous will of God. Are you open to Jesus' voice? I hope he whispers something different to you. I'd like to hear that too. Jesus speaks through his word. Oh, how I treasure his word, the book, the teaching, the truth. And in that word, Jesus said he would give his followers an advocate, a counselor who would make his home in their heart and guide them and teach them and remind them to speak, speak. So listen, 
Jesus is there. Is there something you want to tell me? You say to Jesus, here I am. I'm going to be quiet. What do you want to tell me? I'm, I'm ready. It's practice sometimes. And sometimes it comes real easy and real natural to people. Ah, so what ridiculous thing did Jesus speak to my heart that day? I don't remember the specific phrasing, but I knew that God had spoken and had said to me, go and pray for a man who was sick in the hospital. I'm paraphrasing this further because though it's my story, it's also the story of a family friend, and it's the story of the family that he would leave behind pretty soon after I did, in fact, pray for him. Now, I knew without a doubt that God had directed me to go and pray for this man, but then I got a little excited and ran ahead of God. I drew a conclusion that Jesus had not promised me as I sat on the third pew of Messiah United Methodist Church on Rolling Road in West Springfield, Virginia. I ran ahead of Jesus and imagined that when I prayed for this man, he would be physically healed. Although, let me tell you, I continue to pray for those who are sick and have seen God move in mighty and miraculous ways, and I love it. It was not Jesus' storyline that this man would be miraculously physically healed, not here on earth. He was healed. He was healed. He was healed in heaven. But I learned an important lesson that night. One, obedience matters. Remember two weeks ago in the Simple Man Bible study, those words echoing, do whatever he tells you, Mary said to the servants, even if it means filling six big stone jars of 20 to 30 gallons each with water, not knowing the outcome would be wine, that's ridiculous, folks. Do it anyway. Do it anyway. Two, physical healing is great. Physical healing is great. It's even important, I would argue. However, I learned spiritual healing is most important. If you've been listening to the Simple Man Bible Study, you should recall this point that healing can be described by the acronym SUPER, S-U-P-E-R. Number one is S is for spiritual healing. U is for the healing of your understanding. I was healed of an understanding that night that God does not always bring about physical healing here on earth. I needed to be healed of that. I needed to have my right understanding that spiritual healing is the most important. But P is for physical. If you are sick or someone you love is, I have no shame in praying and asking again because God's word tells us to. No shame. I'm game. I ask that Jesus Christ heal you. And to borrow from the book of Daniel, though, we know he is able, even if he doesn't, will never bow to another. We worship Jesus. The E in that super acronym is for emotional healing from abandonment, from poor parents, from being wounded by others, having left you emotionally in need of healing. And R is for relational, where relationships are broken. Jesus wants to bring healing. But I learned that night, ridiculous obedience is a good thing. It was ridiculous for me to go with my parents and pray for that man. It was ridiculous for me to go and seeing Jesus loves me, this I know, over that man. It's ridiculous that I cannot give you a firm answer of what God was or was not doing in that man's heart that night. But I was obedient, and ridiculous obedience matters. 
As we made that drive home, God took away my emptiness, and Jesus filled my heart with joy and love and peace and all the stuff, all the feels. I cried. It was probably an ugly-looking cry, but it was the beautiful cry of a heart fulfilled, a broken soul healed, desperation and discouragement defeated, feeling overwhelmed replaced by an overwhelming sensation of love and of knowing Jesus. Even so, life has not been perfect. I have not been perfect. Far from it. But God's love, even when seemingly silent, has still been perfect. Do you know that love? Do you know Jesus? He's real. He's personal. He went to a whole lot of trouble, pain, and hurt to die on a cross for you that you would have the opportunity to be reconciled to Jesus. You can pray that prayer I prayed, and I just do not believe that Jesus will ignore it. He might take his time, but he will answer at just the right time. If that's you, then your prayer could just be this. Jesus, show yourself to be real to me. Reveal yourself to me. I want to know if this stuff is real or not. So if it is, then bring it, Jesus. Jesus might direct you to read the Bible investigate further or he might just tell you something unusual or even ridiculous right to your heart but whatever it is do whatever he tells you now you might already be there god is moving on your heart your heart might be beating extra fast or some of you thinkers you just get it it's just real it suddenly makes sense well here's what you do this is what i've called the triple a plan for a while Admit that you've lived for yourself rather than for God. God was always supposed to be your number one priority, but you've put other things in God's spot. Admit that you need God's forgiveness. You need it. Because that's the thing about Jesus. You can't earn God's love. You need it. Admit you need it and ask for that forgiveness. And then, part two, accept Accept the gift that Jesus gave you. Just receive it. Just for starters, accept that Jesus died for you on the cross. Just accept that when he said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. He was saying that not just for those people that day, but for you today. Accept that Jesus was raised on the third day to give you this free gift that you would just have to say, I'm ready, Jesus. It's kind of like cashing a check. He's given it to you. You just receive it and you put it in the bank. Now, this third part is also important. Agree. This is not just a one and done and now you're happy and then you just get back to your life. No, you need to agree that Jesus will be in charge of your life. This is what we mean when we say the Lord of our life. You're under new leadership, new management now. He will speak to you through his Holy Spirit. When you accept him, he gives you his Holy Spirit, and he will guide you, and you're going to follow the leader. That's it. It's pretty simply put, but that's it. If you admitted your need for Jesus, accepted that Jesus died for you, that you might have life, and you just receive the free gift, and now just agree, Jesus, you are in charge. Then you are a new creation. 
Once you were out of relationship with God, empty like I was, and now you are reconciled with God through the blood and death of Jesus Christ. He paved the way. He paved the way. He is the way and the truth and the life. If you did pray that prayer, if you have questions that you're just dealing with, I want you to send me an email, steve at verybold.com. I want to hear from you, and I want to say a quick prayer for you or whoever you're sharing this with. Lord God, you love us so much. Thank you before the creation of the world for having a plan in place to take our brokenness, to take our garbage, to take our sin, to chunk it away, to defeat it, to defeat emptiness, to defeat Satan, to defeat death, to take it all by your blood, by your life, by being the perfect sacrifice for us on the cross. You made the way, and we have the free gift that we can just accept. So, Lord God, do what you do. Move on our hearts that we would receive who you are, we would accept you, and we would follow you and agree you are Lord of our life. We love you, Lord Jesus. It is in your name we pray. Thank you so much for tuning in. Man, send me an email, steve at verybold.com. All of you, wherever you are in your walk with God, you're on my heart, you're in my prayers. I am lifting you up. I want you to hear from the voice of God, no matter how ridiculous it is. And one last thing, I just want to remind you, once you realize that hope, Paul wrote about this in 2 Corinthians 3.12, and it's where we have the name Very Bold Ministries from. Paul says, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Very Bold Radio and Podcast with your host, Steve Teal, bringing encouragement through God's Word and through inspiring interviews. Go to VeryBold.com for information and updates and email Steve at VeryBold.com.